Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome back to the John Clay Podcast. I'm John Clay, sports columnist for the Lexington Herald-Leader and Kentucky.com. On today's podcast, we are going to preview the Kentucky-Georgia Tech basketball game, which is Sunday night at 5 p.m. on ESPN. It's being held there in Atlanta at the State Farm Arena. Kentucky comes into the game 1-2. and two. Georgia Tech is 0-2. My guests on the podcast are Ken Segura of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that covers Georgia Tech. He's going He gives us a scouting report on the Yellow Jackets. And John Hale of the Courier-Journal, who will talk to us about UK and the Cats 1-2 and two start heading into this game with Georgia Tech. So let's not waste any time. Let's get right to it with first Ken Segura of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and then John Hale of the Courier-Journal. Okay, my guest now on the podcast is Ken Segura of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution who covers Georgia Tech athletics. How are you doing today, Ken? Good, John. How are you? I'm good. Uh, Georgia Tech and Kentucky meet Sunday night uh, there in Atlanta at the State Farm Arena. That's the old Phillips Arena, right? Uh, they That's right, it. right. Every night. Yep. Yeah. Uh, before we talk, I know Georgia Tech's gotten off to a little bit of a slow start, a little bit of a rough start. But before we talk about that, what what were the expectations for this Georgia Tech team coming into this year under Josh Pastner, former John Calipari assistant at UK? What how did how did people regard this particular Georgia Tech team? I'd say people are pretty hopeful, and obviously there's some context needed. It's not the same kind of hopeful as, as Kentucky fans have, but um, Tech, uh, you know, obviously I think people, these old older basketball fans remember Bobby Kremens and Kenny Anderson and Mark Price and, and Chris Bosch and Paul Hewitt and those those teams that were perennial NCAA tournament teams, but uh, it's been some pretty lean years. They haven't made the, the tournament since 2010, and I think there's only three other power conference teams that have gone longer um and so it's it's been a uh kind of a, a time in the desert but uh, last year it was uh, josh pastor's fourth season and they finished 17 and 14 they finished really really strongly i think one like you know some like five or other six class games um and so and they brought back four starters and most of their most a lot of the bench so i think people were thinking and i think certainly within the team and even without it this is a team that that could uh, contend for a, a tournament berth, and I, I guess I still hold that to be true. But obviously, losing your first two at home to to mid majors is is no way to to bolster that confidence. So it's <laughs> it's not been a good start at all. So what what happened in the first two games? Um, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, because of the COVID uh, stuff and the 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 um 
the NCAA having the guidelines about uh, teams, that, you know, if you have a positive, you have to sit out 14 days. Uh, Josh took, an, you know, an unusual tack, which I think he acknowledged was, was really kind of out there. But because he was so concerned about losing, you know, 14 days, what he did was he, he had them practice non-contact and was planning to do that through, through the whole season, which means obviously no no five-on-five, five, no going against a scout team, no rebounding drills against your your, your teammates. And I think that really, um, you know, caused – I think they paid the price. I mean, I guess they got to the game safely, but um, but they looked kind of out of sorts. Uh, defense wasn't very good, not a lot of energy. And and Josh is someone that, that really, really values, you know, tough physical practices and to, so to have gone without that. And also because they they play kind of an unusual one three one zone, they didn't get to practice that. Um, so they played Georgia State, which played – is a good team, and, you know, maybe – any other time they would have given a good game anyway, but they, they went to four overtimes and lost. And then two days later they came back and played Mercer. I think their legs were probably a little dead. Uh, Mercer was ready to go and shot well and, and tech didn't play very good defense at all. And their offense looked kind of disjointed. Um, so yeah, to not their own two and, and trying to make a, get a good start against, against Kentucky, which obviously is going to be a real uh, tall task. Well, I saw where uh, Josh said that about, you know, the social distancing and how he changed practice. And, and because he said he had a veteran team, he thought, you mm-hmm. know, that they, they would be able to handle that. But uh, so has this changed his thinking or is he going to continue? I know he said he was really afraid. He just didn't want to have that where he had to stop for 14 days. But has this changed right. his thinking? Well, uh, what happened was um, the the ACC adopted the use of this uh, a technology from a company called Connexon, which I think the SECs yes. use since football. And so that allows you to kind of measure who's been within six feet of you for how long. And so because of that, they've, you know, they can, they don't have to uh, quarantine the whole team. So they've gone back to, I mean, actually they started this just before the regular season started, but they've, you know, since gone back, you know, full bore with non-contact. And actually even this week, they've gone, you know, twice a day just to, to try to catch up. So, um, you know, we'll see what it looks like on, uh, on, on Sunday, but yeah, I mean, I think Josh, uh, I, I think he recognized, yeah, it was, you know, he wishes it. I mean, I think probably going back, he might've done the same thing. Cause he, you know, if, if they had one positive, which was certainly pl- plausible, they, they might've been, they would have been wiped out, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, but he recognizes, yeah, it wasn't the best thing for the team. I know they like said they have kind of a veteran team. I think mm-hmm. have they been starting three seniors? Uh, who who are some guys to watch on this team for Kentucky fans to look out for? Sure. Uh, well, Jose Alvarado, uh, number ten. He's a point guard. He's a four year starter. Um, he was a All ACC pick third team last year. Um, really tough. Uh, you know, goes to the basket hard. Kind of plays downhill. Uh, a feisty player. Um, and then Michael DeVoe, who was a leading scorer last year. Um, you know, a really smooth score um, and, uh, you know, can get to the basket draws file as well. Uh, really long, so good on defense. Um, those two. Um, and then Moses, Moses Wright, uh, number five, he's, uh, I guess he called him a four. Um, you know, a pretty pretty solid rebounder. Uh, he can score on the basket, has extended his range a little bit. Um, he's he's kind of uh, one guy that, that Josh holds up is kind of what they try to do. They I think they recognize they're not going to be able to generally compete with, you know, likes of Kentucky or Duke in recruiting. So they're going after guys that maybe are less heralded. And Moses, interestingly, um, he, I think, had like one other power conference offer and didn't really even have like a, a recruiting presence in terms of 
rivals in 24-7 um, at all when he when he signed, but has, has turned into a pretty good, you know, a solid ACC player. So those are three you'd want to watch out for. What about the fact, I mean, these two teams played last year in Lexington and Georgia Tech. I don't think, did Alvarado not play in that game? Is that right? That's right. He was, uh, I confess, I, I think it was an ankle injury that he yeah. suffered a couple of days, a couple of games before he was out, yes, which was a big difference. And I know uh, this is a you know completely different Kentucky team. Uh, Cal's teams always seem to be almost, <laughs> almost you know <laughs> completely new. Although this has right. almost been like a total overall. But Tech gave them a pretty good game last year in Rupp. Do you think that that helps them going into this game that they have some confidence they can play with Kentucky? I would think so. I mean, certainly, yeah. They they uh, losing the two they have kind of I'm sure is shaking them up a little bit. But certainly, yeah, I'm sure they'll. They'll pop in, or they have popped in some of the the tape from last year, and they can see, yeah, in you know, famed Rupp Arena, they they were in the game for most of it, and I think they probably look back on them, think we probably could have played a little better, also. So, um, yeah, I mean, and obviously, yeah, they, you know, certainly being the ACC, they've like they beat Carolina last year in in Chapel Hill, and so they've they've gone against teams like this, but yeah, I think certainly having you know, act, you know, the the uniform at least haven't seen it and known, you know, we can hang with these guys, I think probably is going to be a help. And, and what about Josh Pastner? As you mentioned, you said this is his fourth year. What, how did the Tech fans feel about uh, the job that he's done to this point? Uh, what, what, uh, what, had, where does he stand with the fan base right now? Um, you know, it's it's always kind of hard to tell because mm-hmm. you're never sure like how much of a barometer Twitter is. Right. There's certainly there there's a share of, of fans on Twitter that aren't you know maybe even more than a share that, that don't feel like he's doing a very good job. Really? They're um, negative yeah, yeah. Georgia Tech <laughs> yeah, fans on yeah. Twitter? I thought Kentucky yeah. was uh, had the market cornered on that. I didn't think anybody yeah, else I, had negative. That's yeah. a first. No, I'm yeah. sorry. Go ahead. Um but uh but yeah, I mean I don't know. I, I think I'm sorry. Yeah, this is his fifth season. His first year, I'm sorry. they went to the sorry, they went to the NIT finals. I think people are excited, and they they thought you know him coming from Memphis, having seen all those recruiting classes that he pulled in there, that, that would continue. It it really hasn't. Uh, the, this the this the incoming class, or excuse me, the, the 21 classes is much better, but they haven't had the sort of recruiting success that I think fans were hoping for. And then also too, for various reasons, they just haven't been terribly competitive. Um, you know, they've gotten better over the course of the years and they've played tough defense, but they haven't been very good offensively. You know, last year was kind of a turning point, and I think fans were hopeful, and I, I guess to some degree still are, but obviously I think losing the first two, it, it really kind of put the brakes on a lot of, of, of uh, optimism for, for you know, what the rest of the year holds. Right, right. So what what are the keys for Georgia Tech on, on Sunday to pull off an upset to beat Kentucky or just to have a competitive game and be right in the game the whole way with Kentucky? Um, a few things. Uh, one, I think turnovers is always a, a big challenge to theirs. I know it was, you know, the first couple of games. So that's a lot on Alvarado and DeVoe, the, the two guards. Um, the other thing is, yeah, they, they, um, so the one, three, one zone, which I mentioned, um, is something they've used a lot and, and with great success in the first four years of, of, uh, Josh's tenure, um, they, they kind of scrapped it because, uh, it, for what, for different reasons, it wasn't working and the, the, a couple of bigs, I think they're counting on haven't played as well as they'd hoped yet. So if they're able to, to, you know, to implement that and have some success with it. I think that, you know, it's something that because it's such a different look, I think it gives teams a lot of trouble. Um, so those two things and just, you know, they, they looked so kind of, you know, soft at times and, 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 you know, disjointed. So I think if these, you know, last, you know, last week of practices have, have 
you know, been helpful in, in kind of helping them regain some some measure of who they are. I think, you know, if their offense is running more smoothly, if their defense is, you know, tougher um, than, you know, their, their three-point defense in particular wasn't very good, which is something they've done well. Those are probably some things that will that are kind of uh, bellwethers, I guess, for, for their success. It should be an interesting game. Of course, Kentucky's off to a one and two start, so they're right. they're looking to kind of right the ship as well. You got two teams who are really hungry to get a win and to, and to play some good basketball after kind of a rough start. So mm-hmm. it should be it should be an interesting game. And with Cal and Pastner, that's always an interesting dynamic, you know, as well. Right. So, right. So, Kent, tell the listeners how they can follow you on Twitter and uh, online leading up to the game and after the game. Sure. Well, thank you for asking. It's uh, the the website is uh, AJC.com, and then you can toggle around and find the Georgia Tech uh, page. And then on Twitter, uh, it's uh, – be ready. It's K-S-U-G-I-U-R-A-A-J-C. So I, I'll forgive your readers or followers if they don't come find me. It's a tough one to spell. So. Well, they'll find you. They can find you, yeah. uh, especially those ones that uh, want to tell you about Pastor. They'll be sure to find you, I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, Ken, I really appreciate you being on the podcast, and everybody be sure and check out his work, the AJC. All those guys do a great job on uh, on all the sports in Atlanta and around the Atlanta area. So, Ken, I really appreciate you being on the podcast. That's my pleasure, John. Thanks. Okay, thanks to Ken for being on the podcast, and we'll be right back with the competition. We'll be right back with John Hale of the Courier-Journal. Okay, we want to welcome into the podcast John Hale, who covers UK athletics for the Courier-Journal, does a great job. John, how are you doing today? I'm good. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Pretty excited. <laughs> well, we appreciate you having, having you on the podcast. Uh, we're going to try and branch out here uh, during basketball and have uh, several people on the podcast, uh, not just peop- not just Herald Leader people. And you were the first one that came to mind, so I appreciate you uh, accepting the invitation. Uh, so I'm going to hit you with the big question up front. Why is Kentucky basketball one and two right now? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think if, if you look at it in a normal year, I, I don't think any of us would have been surprised to see them lose to a veteran Richmond team that's ranked now, uh, lose to Kansas, which is obviously a, a top 10 team that's got really good players. But normally they would have had a handful of other games. I mean, even if they had played Detroit in that first week and they had won twice and they were two and two, it, it probably would be a different conversation right now. And then they have, if they had been playing Georgia State and Marshall and UAB and whoever else they had originally scheduled over this next month, they would have built some momentum and Kentucky fans would freak out because they always freak out. But um, I think the the worry would be less than now having lost these two games and going into a stretch of all these power five teams in a row. So I think the short answer is they're one and two because uh, they're playing a bunch of freshmen and a bunch of transfers who've never played together before. And they played two good teams that are much better equipped to win right now than they are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, earlier this week, Ben Roberts and I talked about that and Ben made the point that, uh, you know, if ever you were going to have a team that needed a couple of exhibition games and a couple of uh, bunny games uh, to get some of the kinks ironed out and get familiar with each other, it was this year. But because of COVID, you know, that wasn't the case. Uh, Is anything surprised you about this team so far? I think it surprised me how bad their shooting has been i mean i didn't think it was going to be a strength by any means but i thought that they'd at least be adequate i mean when you watch big blue madness and saw davion mintz kind of dominate the three-point contest like he did 
knowing that, you know, Dante Allen's at least on the bench to hit threes, although I don't think any of us expected he was going to play a ton this year. But you thought that B.J. Boston would be a, a pretty good shooter. You thought that Devin Askey would be a pretty good shooter. And it's not unusual. I mean, I went back and looked at the numbers this week. Uh, I mean, Tyler Hero started like one for 11 in his career. Uh, Jamal Murray went one for 10 in the second game. He was at Kentucky from three. Devin Booker was really bad his first three games. So he's had freshmen who have done this before and figured it out. And I think that probably that's what you would expect bj boston to do but because of everything we just talked about with the spotlight being so brighter because of the the schedule the way it's set up this year it's it's hurt them more than it did when those guys were struggling against bad teams they played two good teams and kentucky didn't hit, hit any shots and and i know that cal says all the time that they shoot well in practice and he thinks they're going to be a good shooting team but i just don't buy the idea that good shooting teams go entire games without hitting a three i mean that was the fact two years ago when they did that against uh, Buffalo in the NCAA tournament or whatever. And we've seen that be such an Achilles heel in the postseason play so many times for Cal that nothing that we've seen so far makes you feel confident that even if they figure it out and they become an adequate team for most of the season, that they won't have one of these nights in March and, and it'll cost them a game. How much do you think though, too, that it's because it is such a young team and they haven't had the time to, uh, you know, kind of get to, to be all that familiar with each other, that they're not getting shots within a rhythm of an offense because they haven't really shown a lot of offensive rhythm so far. Yeah, I think that's probably a big factor, um, especially, I mean, Cal, what was it after the Richmond game where they didn't hit one at all, said that Davion Mintz had three open shots and nobody threw him the ball. <laughs> so if you throw him the ball in those situations, <laughs> it's probably a, a much different uh, kind of conversation we're having about their three-point shooting. So that's, that's probably a huge part of it. And then just not having... Guys, I mean, I don't think Terrence Clark is a great shooter. Um, I know that some of these big guys we saw, Isaiah Jackson hit some threes in Big Blue Madness three-point contest, but that's not a shot you want him taking a lot. Or Jacob Coppin, and both those guys took threes down the stretch against Kansas that you probably don't want. So finding an offensive strategy of anything that works would be step number one uh, for them figuring out how to shoot better and getting the guys who you're confident can make those shots open looks is, is the second part of that. You mentioned about Davion Mintz. Uh, what about the point guard situation? I sort of thought coming in that Mintz would be the starter. Askew would back him up and learn from him, and then maybe overtake him at some point. But it looks like it's going to be the it's going to be. Well, we've started off with Askew. Are you surprised by that at all? I, I mean, I thought that too going into the year or into the summer at least that that would be the way he went. Um, but then, you know, seeing uh, the lineups and the madness scrimmage and you know, the pro day stuff, it was pretty clear he had zeroed in on Devin Askew. So I, I wasn't surprised that he ended up going that way. I am a little surprised at just how adamant he's been. And I think that whatever Cal has seen behind the scenes, he's clearly made the conclusion that for this team to be what he thinks it can be. Devin has to be the point guard. So you might as well just let him learn through some lumps early in the season. Um, I asked Cal today on his zoom this morning. If, it seems like a long, long time ago now, but about this time in that title season, early December, around the time of that Indiana loss, everybody was talking about how bad Marcus Teague was and whether he was going to be good enough to, to be the point guard. And if he was going to be the thing that kept them from winning the title and he turned out to figure out how to, how they needed to play and to get everybody else who was, were much better players than him involved. And maybe Devin has that same uh, kind of progression, but until we see it, I think it's, it's a fair question as to whether he's the best option or you should go with the veteran out there or, Maybe even just put Terrence Clark at point guard and, and go to this kind of this modern NBA 
in a style of offense where your best right. wing player has the ball in his hands, I, I think all options are probably on the table right now. Okay. Uh, one more negative, and then we'll get to the positive. And you brought this up the other day about uh, Olivier Saar. I mean, he was uh, fat, got in foul trouble the other night, and that's not that's not something new with Olivier Saar. As you mentioned, if you go back and look uh, last year at Wake Forest, he got in foul trouble in quite a few games. Uh, how did they get that fixed? Yeah, it's a big concern. I mean, you look at the Richmond game, and I thought he played too much. He was out yeah. there for, what, 38 minutes, and I thought he got noticeably tired in the second half, which I think why he missed so many of those shots around the rim. And I asked him after the game, I said, you, you only played more than 35 minutes, I think, four times last year at, at – um, at Wake Forest, how, how do you, how's your conditioning, what's going on? He said, well, I didn't play very much because I was in foul trouble all the time. <laughs> and then we saw that, you know, come to fruition on Tuesday. And with so many young guys who are figuring it out, you need him and Mintz and Keon Brooks when he gets healthy uh, to be your veterans to kind of carry the load right now. And, and obviously Olivier can't do that when he's not on the court. And then you look at it and, and see even more that I think uh, obviously Isaiah Jackson's really, really good, but they're not getting much from Lance Ware right now. Jacob Toppin gave him some good minutes against Kansas, but he didn't do much against Richmond. They don't have a lot of other options in that rotation until Keon gets back, which looks like it's going to be a couple more weeks at least. So they, they've got to figure out a way for Olivier to stop fouling. I mean, it is important, I think, to remember that even Kentucky's grad transfers the last few years have had to learn new ways to play, even though they're veterans. And so he'll probably you know, have a similar kind of path that Reed Travis even had to learn some of those things early. And so I think he probably can figure it out, but you do wonder sometimes that if this is just who he is at this point in his career too. Yeah. And for to me anyway, for him for them to get where of course the fans always want him to go, final four and have a chance for the national championship. Of course, fans want him to win the national championship every year. He's got to be on the floor because he's he's obviously got offensive talent. He's uh obviously down low about right now anyway, he's the best option they have, although he can obviously can play out on the floor and hit the perimeter shot as well. Uh to me the bright the big bright spot's been Isaiah has been Isaiah Jackson, how he's played. I mean, you heard he was an active kid, and then, and then towards the end of the or well before the season started, you were hearing things about how well he looked in practice. Uh, but have you been surprised at all at how he started out? Yeah, I mean, just going from a month ago when we weren't sure he was going to be in the rotation at all or what he what he was going to look like and all the conversation about they had to get Olivier Sar eligible because they were going to be in such trouble if they hadn't gotten him, and I think that. Probably would be true, but not because of Isaiah Jackson by any means. He's been arguably, I think, their best player if you put it all together. I mean, I think Sars probably been a little better than him when he's been on the floor, but the foul trouble, you have to factor that in. And, and Boston and Clark obviously have you know immense amount of talent, but they're kind of figuring it out. Jackson's the one guy who's done, I think, exceeded expectations so far. And, you know, he's such a defensive weapon, which I think that they've kind of lacked probably since uh, Willie Colley-Stein left in 2015. I mean, Nick Richards obviously blocked a lot of shots last year, but he wasn't that kind of shot blocker. And it looks like Jackson is in that same kind of class as Willie and Nerlens Noel and, you know, Anthony Davis uh, in his own kind of stratosphere there. And, and that changes the way they play on defense so much. And obviously that's Cal's number one and number two goals most year. If you have that guy who can make up for mistakes at the rim, it lets the rest of the team kind of progress on their own path. And, and it seems like they have that guy right now. And then his offensive game has, has been pretty good too. His jump shot hasn't been quite as good as we thought it might've been based on that madness three point contest, but he has shown the ability to hit those shots and he can obviously catch lobs if they figure out a guy to throw it to him. So 
I would be shocked now if he's here more than one year, which is not something I would have said a month ago. <laughs> no, yeah. What uh, anybody else stick out to you? any any other thoughts through three games? Because you know we have to jump to whatever conclusions we can after three games. It's required. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I- it's interesting because I mean you, you mentioned your conversation with Ben at the beginning of the week. I, I was talking to him just on the side at uh, after the probably about halfway through the Richmond game. I texted him and about how impressed I was with BJ Boston not forcing shots. You know he he wasn't hitting threes at the time and it seemed like he was you know, comfortable just driving and getting that floater and, and layups and not forcing jump shots. And then obviously that has not been the case for the last game and a half. So how he and Terrence Clark make that adjustment to doing in, in Cal's whole um, spiel today in the zoom was about not being selfish and getting your teammates involved and doing all the things he talks about in terms of extra work and getting in the gym. I assume he's talking to those two guys because they need them to be stars and their offense doesn't work when they just, you know, start playing one-on-one and, and don't, you know, look for the open man or make the extra pass. So, I think we've seen enough from those two guys to think that they absolutely can be the kind of stars Kentucky needs them to, but it might be ugly for a while until they figure it out. Yeah, we, I mean, we, we are recording this on Friday afternoon. Cal's Zoom today was just a little bit ago. And then uh, uh, and after the game the other night, a lot of talk about, uh, like the comment he made the other night about, you know, I think it was Daryl Bird who asked him about what do you get tell these guys who want to go to the NBA to listen he, to tell, uh, tell them to unpack your bags, put the clothes in the dresser, uh, quit wor- you know, worry about being a college player. And then today he made the comment about uh, saying something to the effect of, you know, you might be playing in a league, but it ain't going to be that league if you keep uh, <laughs> keep playing like this. seems like a message to uh, a lot of these guys that, uh, you know, quit thinking ahead and start thinking about what, what can you do right now. Yeah, and, and obviously that's – one of Cal's big strengths is managing egos and getting yes. all these draft prospects to play together. But I just keep thinking about what we saw last year with Khalil Whitney, who was in a similar spot and struggled early and they tried to find him a role and then take him a little bit out of the rotation to figure it out. And he just said, no, thanks. And, and left the <laughs> team and didn't, didn't want to progress. And in a year with COVID and how many opt outs we've seen in football and all the restrictions and, it's going to be an interesting line to walk for Cal this year to figure out how to push the right buttons to get those guys to do what they need to, but also realize that it's it's a weird year. And I mean, we'd be, we'd be shocked if any of these guys in a month or two just say it's not worth the trouble and, and they have you know four or five games canceled and there's an outbreak here or there. And I think that's going to be something that is is kind of hanging over the season throughout. The good news is before the season, when we asked Terrence Clark, you know, why did you come to Kentucky instead of just say, I don't know if there's going to be a season. I've got all these offers from the G League and just go play. He said, I need Coach Cal. I need him to coach me and get better. So it seems like they have that mindset. Uh, Hopefully they figure it out and and they take the coaching. But in this day and age and with all the other – you know, weird parts of this season, it, it's going to be something to watch. Yeah, no, no, it's a good point. Uh, I got Georgia Tech on Sunday. Uh, I mean, Georgia Tech's off to a pretty rough start. They're 0-2. They do have a veteran team, a team that played Kentucky. Of course, this is a completely different Kentucky team. They played Kentucky, you know, pretty well last year in Rupp. Uh, do you expect Kentucky to have any problem on Sunday? I mean, I think at this point, the way Kentucky's playing, they could have problems against anybody. But, you know, Georgia Tech has not been good so far. They lost to Georgia State and somebody else who was really bad as well. I thought it was interesting that Josh Pastner has said that he was so worried about the COVID stuff. He was not, he was doing five on zero practices and was not doing full contact practices until I think this week. And that's kind of what he pointed to as to why they've been so bad. And so maybe that makes a difference. And, 
uh, the practice time. It, it seems unlikely that it would make a difference this quickly if he just started doing it this week. But right. against a, a veteran team, um, you know, in a weird environment, and I think playing in front of no fans makes it easier for some of these young Kentucky guys to revert back to kind of AAU kind of style of play, which are games they're used to playing in front of no fans all the time. So right. that that is always going to be a factor until they go out and figure some of these things out. Any veteran team, I think, is a risk to them, but their talent is so much better than Georgia Tech's that I, I assume they'll win, but, you know, I don't, I'm not confident in any way that's going to be pretty. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, if you looked at this game before the season started, you'd say, well, it's not that interesting a game because they should handle them pretty well. But the fact that they've gotten off to a one and two start makes it, makes it a little more interesting, uh, an interesting game on Sunday. Uh, John, tell the listeners how they can follow you on Twitter and online uh, leading up to, to that game and all your UK coverage. I, I'll let, I'll let the competition have a plug here. Go ahead. Go ahead. And <laughs> well, we always yourself. appreciate that. It's at John Hale, J O N H A L E underscore CJ on Twitter and uh, Kurt your-journal.com well i appreciate john and hopefully we can uh, uh hopefully we can get you back on the podcast again soon absolutely okay that'll do it for this edition of the john clay podcast i want to thank my guest ken segura of the atlanta journal constitution and john hale of the courier journal I want to thank everybody who listens to the podcast you can find the podcast the john clay podcast on apple podcast spotify stitcher tuned in google podcasts and our radio podcast leave us a rating and review that helps get the word out we really appreciate that I want to thank everybody who supports our work at the Lexington Arrow Leader and Kentucky.com. Remember, you can get a sports-only subscription to Kentucky.com, the Sports Pass subscription. It's $30 for the first year. You get all of our U.K. coverage, uh, U.K. basketball with Jerry Tipton, U.K. recruiting with Ben Roberts, U.K. football with Josh Moore. You get uh, columns by Mark Story and myself. You get all of our high school coverage with Jared Peck. It's $30 for the first year. We appreciate everybody who's taking advantage of that. Go to Kentucky.com, hit on the subscription button, and uh, check out all of our offers there at Kentucky.com. We appreciate that. You can follow me on Twitter at John Clay IV. Uh, if you want to contact me via email, I'm at jclay at herald-leader.com. We'll have plenty of coverage of the basketball game on Sunday. Like I said, it's a 5 o'clock start on ESPN. Uh, be sure and check out all of our coverage leading up to the game. And during the game, we have live updates and, of course, a lot of coverage after the game as well. Thanks again for listening. We'll be talking to you again soon.